0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner, and happy holidays. Oh, what a wonderful holiday it's been. I loved that the last night of Hanukkah ended on the... on on Christmas um, because uh, I'm Jewish and my fiance is not and uh, all of our families were able to celebrate together for different reasons but ultimately the same one which is celebrating each other and um, there was lots of food Remy's dad cooks an amazing pasta every year and there's lots of wine and vodka and we play cards against humanity and make each other laugh. And it's just a wonderful time. And um, I'm so thankful for these memories. Um, but, you know, if you hear any background noise in this intro, it's because, you know, fam, it's the holidays and family is still here. And that doesn't, just because you need to record a podcast intro doesn't mean that <laughs> that family stops moving around. You know what it's like. Anyway, Uh, I'm so so excited about this this episode um, with Carson Kressley how exciting is that I mean I grew up watching Carson uh, on Queer Eye and now in Drag Race and it's just um, it's just amazing because uh, he's been such a a staple on my television for years and we got to have a wonderful conversation but before we get into that just a reminder that my book how to be a multi-hyphenate in the theater business is coming out so soon oh my god it's so soon can you believe it february 10th it will be uh available but you can pre-order it right now so head to the rutledge website head to Head to Amazon. Head to Barnes and Noble. Uh, order it, pre-order it, and it'll come to your door on February tenth, which is so exciting. Um, but uh, there's that, and you know, keep keep telling your friends and family about this podcast. Send it to your friends if they need a little pick me up, or you hear something that's gonna relate to them, or or something, whatever it is. And rate, comment, subscribe, do all of that good stuff um it really really helps uh also if you're looking for um another good book to read i um in the middle of shy which is mary rogers's autobiography that's sort of kind of written with jesse green but you learn a lot about the industry that doesn't really exist anymore um that has changed so much and uh it sort of puts into perspective you go how much has the industry actually changed well a lot but also not not a lot at all it's very interesting you should read it there's some untold stories from the days of yore that are so fascinating and wonderful but Let's get into the episode, shall we? Let's do it. Emmy Award winning TV personality, style expert, fashion designer, interior designer, and New York Times bestselling author are some of the credits of the multi-talented and unforgettable Carson Kressley. Carson started his career as an independent stylist and became invaluable to major designers such as Ralph Lauren. He took a leap into television and became a breakout star on Bravo's Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, which won a Primetime Emmy and gained a worldwide following for Carson. In collaborations with Oprah Winfrey, Carson revolutionized America's personal fashion sense of style, and that is very true. He's hosted multiple TV shows, including Lifetime's How to Look Good Naked and ABC's True Beauty, appeared as a fashion critic and commentator on shows, including The Oprah Winfrey Show and Good Morning America. Carson has competed on several reality shows, including NBC's hit show Celebrity Apprentice, Food Network's Celebrity Cupcake Wars, ABC's Celebrity Family Feud, and the 13th season of Dancing with the Stars, where he was a fan favorite, raising awareness and donations for several charities. Carson is a key judge on the TV series RuPaul's Drag Race, which continues to win multiple Emmys. New fan favorites include his interior design show Get a Room with Carson and Tom, Freeform's Rap Battle, and his home entertainment talk show Couched, where he interviews A-list celebrities and elite interior designers. Among being a strong supporter of many philanthropic causes, when Cressley is not starring on stage or screen, he can be found astride on one of his American saddlebred show horses, with which he has achieved world champion status. Thanks again to Broadway Podcast Network and I hope you enjoy the episode. Carson Cressley, I actually can't believe I'm speaking to you right now. I'm so honored and thankful that you're here. Um you have been a part of my life uh in a very formative time in my life. I I Remember my mom and I watching Queer Eye when I was about 12 years old. And I think that was her way of being like, you can come out to me, it's okay. Right, right. Or, you know, if you're wearing pleated khakis, it's not okay.
1: (laughs) Uh, But it was probably the former, not the latter.
0: Well, knowing my mom, she, um, she always says, I dressed you so nicely when you were a baby. She says it all the time and I'm like, you know, do not like what I'm wearing now? Cause I take, I get the hint. I get the hint. Jesus Christ. Um, that is so cute. Yeah. She's the best. Um, but you were, you were such a formative part in my life, um, existing in the world as an openly gay man. And I was talking with one of my friends who I was with at Thanksgiving last night and, the you broke so the five of you broke so many stereotypes because I feel like in so many um representations of gay culture in the world it was all about HIV and AIDS or being ostracized or being sexual deviants or whatever it is and you normal you brought uh you brought real gay men into m- people's homes and I think you did so much for us so much more for us than you're aware or I don't know yeah thank you so much first of all and uh,
1: yeah I mean I don't think any of us had that um, uh, that was not our um, intention was not to be you know uh, you know changing the social landscape it was just literally to like get rid of mullets and pleated khakis Um, But I think the, um, the power of reality TV, the power of visibility, and just being five out open gay men on TV doing what they do, but also doing it well, I think that was really important. And I think sometimes we would be portrayed in the media, like you alluded to earlier, in maybe ways where we weren't powerful and successful and celebratory and celebrated. Um, So I think that the producers and the director and and the people behind the show maybe knew that. But we were just, you know, literally trying to make people look cuter and make better food and um, not live in a house with a pizza under your sofa.
0: Um, It's not good feng shui. It's really not. No, no. And it can lead to mold, quite frankly. Which we which isn't good. My fiance and I just um, we live we we're here in New York City, but we just got a house upstate. Oh, and, nice. Um, we are uh, – we're not dealing with mold, but we're certainly dealing with um, 1970s linoleum with gray felt paper and tar underneath. Right. Mo- moisture. Moisture. And not the good moisture, that, the dewy yeah. look. It's more the um, – mm, we shouldn't Mo- be breathing this in. <laughs> but. Yeah, probably not, but you're going to be fine. I. I
1: you're going to tackle it.
0: I I think we are, but it's adorable, and we can't wait to make it ours. Truthfully, yes, so fun. You you follow me on Instagram because I posted my photo because Broadway Barbara posted the photos that I took of her, and when I saw your name pop up, yes, I gagged. I absolutely gagged because first of all, she's the best, and I'm so I I had such a great time collaborating with her. Isn't she the best?
1: I I love Broadway Barbara. She's how I feel on the inside um and you know she talks like this she's just you know she's like an old lady and i am a, an inner old lady um so i really responded to her i haven't met her i haven't seen any of her shows i'm just thrilled for her viral sensationalism and her success and i'm sure i'll go to one of her shows soon so
0: you should they're great i've seen them twice now and yeah um... I think what she is such a great reflection, and this is why I asked you to come on the podcast, is she's such a great reflection of what a multi-hyphenate is today in today's world and creating a career in the theater, television, and film arts that's so effortlessly you and lucrative. And you you are su- you are represent such a cool aspect of multi-hyphenate artistry because you... I believe you have acted in things correct i have yes i have i've done a couple
1: movies some hallmark christmas movies lifetime christmas movies uh i did a feature with hillary duff in the 2000s um <gasps> called the perfect man i've done a couple independent films where people are just like oh my god i'm producing a movie will you give me fifteen hundred dollars and you can be in it and i'll be like sure um so okay, stuff I'm like that writing and that down. i did yeah and i did um Morning Miami which was a sitcom and uh, I'm always thrilled when I get to do acting things because it's so fun you just get to be somebody else for a minute and um, you get to embellish and um, I don't know it's just very fun to me to to even have the opportunity when people ask oh and I did some uh, stage work too um, at the Agunquit Playhouse I did the Drowsy Chaperone and Damn Yankees and uh, we're working on something new and really exciting for them uh, for next fall. So I just, you know, anything creative like that, I just think is so exciting.
0: I didn't know you were you man in chair. I was, yeah. I didn't know that. No, but that's the yeah. that's that's the great thing about it. It's like that wasn't your introduction into the industry. You know, you know, you were working in fashion. You were working with Ralph Lauren, and then mm-hmm. Queer Eye happened. But that. But then these opportunities happen, and I just want to note to you, what is a multi-hyphenate to you? Is it something specific? Is it an idea? Is it anything? It's a lifestyle. Hey! Um, no, I don't know.
1: I mean, I haven't given it that much thought. I think that um, multi-hyphenates, um, and I'm flattered to be included in that like bracket, um, they're just creatives. And we don't necessarily, it's, you know, it's like you have a driver's license, but some days you drive a truck and some days you drive a car and some days you drive a forklift or whatever. Um, The vehicle changes, but I think the artist, you know, the artist's heart is always the same. We love to create things. We love to express who we are. We love to maybe entertain. We love to um, connect with people in that way. So I don't really think it's a matter of like what your skill set is. It's just, if you have that, artist kind of perspective and way of thinking and moving through the world it translates to different things i could have been terrible like on stage because that's a very like skilled like you have to know like how loud to be and how to project and how to like connect with the audience and memorize you know 90 pages of dialogue and not fuck it up and if you do uh keep going um that's all different but i managed to I, i think i did okay actually the With the man in chair, the guy who wrote the play, who wrote Drowsy Chaperone, and was the man in chair, uh, came to see the show. And thank God I didn't know that until after he saw the show. And he was like, wow, you were, you know, fantastic. So I was like, thank you, I'll take it. Um, And it wasn't that much of a stretch because I was, you know, it's an old man in a chair who
0: loves Broadway. So not really that far off. You would be an incredible man in chair. I would love to see you. It's one of my favorite shows. I saw it twice on Broadway. It's one of my favorites. I'm sure you were so good. I Just
1: that opening line, I'm sitting in the chair in the darkness. I just say, I hate theater. (laughs) Well, it's so disappointing, isn't it? Um, That's, you know, how it's, you know, all starts out. Picture it. The Blasco (laughs) Theater, 1931. Um, and then i don't remember anything else but
0: um which is funny now that i'm realizing it that's a reference to golden girls um it sounds like it yeah has and to be. picture it right yeah exactly um yeah i think so i have this interesting theory about golden girls and after so my my fiance is a goyim he's not jewish but he um, and he loves Golden Girls and we and he introduced right. me to go- Golden Girls um because I didn't grow up watching Golden Girls. Golden Girls. Was really? It wasn't a part of my vernacular because it always felt Jewish without the Jew. So I never really kind con- of okay, get that connected with them because I was waiting for them to be like my Aunt Dottie or, you know, were were Aunt Yetta or someone like that where they would just break out into yiddish or or say like a yiddish jewish joke and right it wasn't right until I was older where I was able to put that aside and appreciate for what it is especially because it was was it rue or was one of them said why don't we make these women I think it might have even been b said why don't we make these women jewish they 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 right. feel jewish and i now that right. i have that in my mind i watch the show with a little less um uh, a little uh, with, um, oh God, what's the, well, I don't know. I watch it and enjoy uh, it.
1: more, More, yeah, more, you're uh, more flexible in your interpretation of who
0: they are, I guess. Exactly. Um, now, you are also, so you were a, um, you were a huge part of my life growing up, and now you're a huge part of my life in another way, uh, in my my digestion of television and that's drag race and mm-hmm. i first of all it is a massive massive bucket list dream of mine to be a guest on that show to be a guest host so i'm not oh even, my god amazing i'm not even working for a tony or to buy another house or to raise a family i'm working to have a career where i can get asked to be a guest judge on drag race that's what i'm right for.
1: well it could it could happen
0: it will happen
1: there you go. That's the right answer.
0: What sort of has been your uh, your journey with Drag Race, and when you because uh, you signed on in two thousand seventeen? Was that the year it was? Mm, uh might have even been a little earlier that earlier. when it when it
1: started to air. I started doing Drag Race on season seven, so seven, eight, nine, ten,
0: eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Yes, two thousand fifteen, and. How, how, is it, how, how has it met your expectations? How has it changed and evolved for you? What does it mean right. for you now? Um, well, I've always been a fan of drag
1: and I grew up, uh, you know, I moved to New York City like basically like the day after graduation in 1991, I graduated from college and it was just like, then the next day I was like, okay, bye, going to New York. And, um, you know, then early nineties, I, you know, I've spent all of the nineties in New York City. Um, there was such a great drag scene and it was um, performance art meets drag. And there was classic drag. There were people like Barla Jean Merman at the Duplex and 88s. And then I would go to the East Village to the Pyramid Club and see Misunderstood, who was a little bit more, you know, like East village performance arts. And Kevin Aviance uh, was in the clubs. So that was my entree into drag, was club kids and East Village clubs and um, – you know, not that southern, you know, pageanty drag. Even though that's what I love and I respond to it so much on Drag Race. You know, someone's all like polished and gorgeous and pageanty. You know, and my eyes are popping out of my head. Um, but my introduction to drag was very different than that, and I've always been a fan and you know followed my favorite drag entertainers from Edie to uh, you know people up in P-town to uh, people working in Vegas. And uh, I had always been a fan of Ruse. And then we did a, this is a great show story that I always say yes to almost everything. People are like, oh my God, I saw you do this and that, and that. And I just figure it out as I go. And I just, I say yes because I like to be busy and I'm terrified of not working. So I'll just say yes. And one was a show on the Game Show Network called Skin Wars. And it was about body painting yes. and Rue was one of the hosts along with Rebecca Romaine. Huh. And, uh, I was like, sure, I'll do that. And it was on that set that Rue and I reconnected. I, I think we had met like once very briefly. Um, and he was like, why aren't you doing my show? And I said, I would love to. And he's like, I'm going to, you know, work that out. And then like literally a couple days later I had a voicemail from him. I still have the voicemail like on, saved on my phone. And, um, mm-hmm. It's been wonderful. And I think the thing that's the most, um, of course, working with all the incredible queens for, you know, seven seasons, coming on eight seasons, is amazing to watch their progress, their journey, um, their, you know, the world discovering them, seeing their artistry has been incredible. But also working on a show for seven years, um, developing a friendship with Rue and Michelle and Ross and our crew, which is like the most amazing in show business. Um, And everybody loves the show so much. And I've worked on a lot of great shows. And sometimes you like the show, and you're just like, yeah, we like being here. And then sometimes you just love it, and it's like a labor of love. And I think Drag Race has been that, especially for the producers and the crew, uh, because it was the little show that could. It was just a labor of love on logo in the beginning. And very similar to Queer Eye, nobody... I don't think had expectations that it would be a cultural phenomena, help change the zeitgeist, um, reach young people all over the globe. Uh, but that's what it evolved into. So that's just the cherry on top of the sundae um, that you get to work on a fun and entertaining show, but also one that um, helps people all over, all over the world say, you know what, I can be exactly who I'm meant to be. I don't have to be anything uh, different than what's,
0: what's right for me. Oh, God, I love that. I when people ask, I think, how do you get from point A to point B to point C? I, I I'm teaching theater business right now with NYU uh, Strasberg. Oh and, wow! Which is I uh, which I'm very excited and honored to be doing that. But um, I what I try to say to them is, look around you. These are the people that you are going to be relying on. As you get older, you might not get along now, but don't burn any bridges because Mm. one day you're going to be with them in a room and go, hey, been a long time. I'm working on this. You would actually be perfect for it. Stay in each other's good graces. Be real people. Be genuine and follow Mm -hmm. those impulses. I think people probably thought it was or think it's your agent who Talked to Ruse people and got it done and right. It's not that. So much of the no, industry it... isn't that.
1: No, it almost never is that. I mean, very rarely I'll get you know they'll call an agent saying, "Hey, we're looking for Carson to do this." But generally, it is previous relationships and um, whether theater business, which sounds so exciting, and I, I feel like I want to come like audit your class. Please um... do. <laughs> but the other thing is that it works the same way in television um and not just like on the creative side but also on the business side so like um relationships are so important with the people that are uh, in tv it's development which is like finding new shows and like uh green lighting ideas and concepts for for new shows and those executives like you might have a person that you work with at a certain network that you're like oh my god they're the worst And you should never diss them and speak badly about them or have a fight with them because guaranteed six months to two years later, you'll walk into a room to have a meeting and that person's going to be there because they've moved networks now. So people don't stay where they always are. People are always moving around. And it's very important to not burn any bridges, like you said.
0: It's so true. And I love that you confirmed that it's rarely not your so it's really not your teams. And while I think having teams are incredibly important for protection, of course, to make sure that you are in a safe environment when you're on set and you're getting the things that you need to do your best work. I think people think that especially younger artists, that agents and managers do all of the work for you Mm -hmm. and You are, and once you have an agent, once you have a manager, once you have a press rep, once you have whoever it is, you are expected to kick back and relax. But that's the opposite. It's they are there to support you, and you are the one who slips into someone's DMs, being like, "I have a podcast that I think you'd be really great for." And right, and then eventually there you go. You know, it's that chutzpah in action, chutzpah baby, which which I like, um, which is, you know, why I'm here. So, um, it's, it's funny that you said chutzpah because drag race, going back to drag race just for a second and they want to talk about more, yeah. more your experience. Not, I I'm not someone with drag race cause I have a, a few drag race girlfriends and that have been on the show, uh, c- right. uh, being in New York and especially being, you know, in the theater scene in New York. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, I'm not interested in the drama or anything like that. I'm more interested in the like the the humor of it because there's so much I think Drag Race is such an educational show not just when it like centers stories and issues in the world, but your commentary. First of all, the runway. Okay, I have to go back even more. Yes. Drag race viewing, we have drag race viewing parties, and they're so important to us because, um, I'm not a clubber, I'm not a dancer, I'm not, I don't really go out to the bars much. I was saying last night, like, my friend was like, Do you miss going out? Because I don't really go out, and he was like, Do you miss going out? It's like, I just want to knock down a wall at the house, and I'm allowed to feel that way. I'm like, right. I don't really get my kicks from going out, I want to. I want to get wainscoting, and I want to do um, right. You know, I want to put down a floor, but dra- But drag race serves as that in between. I cook, I make a big meal. Friends bake or bring drinks. We sit, we talk. It's like our it's like our Sunday football, and right. it's such a pillar in our community for those reasons. And um, my favorite moment. Of the episode is the runway commentary. And I have a question about this because I'm trying to figure mm-hmm. it out. There are genuine moments where I think you and Michelle and Rue laugh at each other because the joke is so outlandish and hysterical and so nuanced and brilliant. Uh huh. Are any of them ADR? Are any of them pre written? or are all of them just off the cuff and you're all incredible comedians that deserve the uh, all the riches in the world?
1: They are, everything is the latter. Um, we do not have, um, there are amazing producers who act as sometimes writers on the show who will help with different bits, but not in the runway. Um, and we are up there. And it is a great exercise. It's almost like something you would have to do like in like improv school where like people are coming down and you just have to throw out, you know, comments and we throw out a lot that are thrown out, um, that are terrible (laughs) that don't make it. And it's like a contest or a game and it's all in good spirits and we're just trying to outstupid one another. And, um, Sometimes we're literally like that was the worst ever. Like what you see is actually what's happening. The only, um, the only um, preparation there is, and I gosh, I hope I don't get in trouble for revealing trade secrets. Is preparation is, H. It's preparation H. And I'm wearing it now. Um, Me too, right here. Um, no, we will. They will have to walk the runway without, uh, with music, so they get the vibe and the feel and the energy. And then they come back and do it again without music. So we've had a, a moment to be like, oh, um, that looks like this or that. But
0: nothing is like pre-written. Like it is all up to us. That is so astounding. And it's such a test. I mean, I will never forget when Michelle first said, what did she say? She said, paging Dr. Zismore. Right. I scream. At that because even though I'm from Fort Lauderdale. Right. Uh, You've seen the signs. Of course. The rainbow Dr. Zizmore signs on the subway. And right. that is such a core memory for me. I cackled. And the fact yes. that now you, Drag Race has such a uh, uh, an influence. Now the fact mm-hmm. that people say all the time now, you know, where's Dr. Z- Paging Dr. Zismore or something right. like that. But you – the best thing is when – I think I'm the funniest person in the world. And I go and I will say a joke on the runway. And then a second later, one of you says it. I'm like, see, I'm brilliant. Okay, great minds think alike. <laughs> great minds think alike. I I just, find, I just find you to be, as we're wrapping up, I just find you to be so inspiring and such a representation of the multi-hyphenate because of the way that you came into the industry. You didn't start mm. as an actor. So many multi-hyphenates start as an actor and um find out that they have agency but right. you you started with agency and went with the right mentality and went yeah i'll do that i'll talk to them i'll do that show and i wish that we all could approach our um careers with that mentality and i think we'd be much happier i think we would be doing more things that um brought us more joy, changed the world if we didn't Mm -hmm. just keep ourselves held in. And I think you're such a testament to that.
1: Thank you. Well, just, yeah, you know, uh, parting words of wisdom. Don't limit yourself because until you um, try all these things, you have no idea if you can't do it or not. So you might as well give it a whirl.
0: And who cares what people think? I agree. I agree. I'm busy. Yes. Who cares what people think? And you know, Rue says it. Rue says it best. It, it, you know, if they ain't paying your bills, pay them bitches no mine. Exactly. Do you have anything you want to share, pitch? Anything coming up that? Mm. Well, we will have a new season of.
1: Uh, I mean, Drag Race is coming up. Okay. And uh, I am uh, you know, in one of those other multi hyphenate uh lanes, I'm going to be judging and hosting a new season of Barbecue Brawl on the Food Network which we're just getting ready to start filming and that'll come out in the spring. And um, yeah. And then whatever other, you know, I'm doing like an equestrian style coffee table book that I just think is going to be fun and fabulous. And um, some of my interior design work is going to be in house beautiful, which I'm very excited about. And Oh, and possibly some, you know, uh, a play or two with a gun quit, which is a great um, summer destination. It's a gay destination, but it's, It's more than that. While it's very, you know, welcoming to our community, it has a long, long history of fantastic summer stock theater with the likes of Betty Davis and everybody in the world has performed there. So when I get to go to a show there and I'm sitting in my dressing room and there's a giant black and white of Betty Davis or Ethel Barrymore over my shoulder, I'm just like, what? And We don't have to be that tight on time because this is a good story. When I was doing my first show at a gun quit, I don't know if it was because Betty Davis's photo was behind me or what, but I was doing the drowsy chaperone and it's a lot of dialogue and there are no cues back and forth because no one sees you because they're all figments of my imagination or they're ghosts or whatever they are. I'm not interacting with the people on stage. So you have no cues. So you have to memorize these like 90 pages of dialogue. And you're totally lost. Like, if you lose your moment, no one's there to throw you a line because no one else is acting with you during the entire show. So I was very panicked. Oh, these are two great theater stories you'll love. Very nervous about doing this show. I'd never done it before. And on Broadway or regional theater, they have these, like, monitors up in the, in the, I don't know, the flying bridge or whatever they call it. And um, I think that's on a boat. But... Um, I was like, couldn't we just put the lines up there like a teleprompter? And they're like, absolutely not. That's for like the director or something or the orchestra. So I was like, okay. So when I got to set, um, they had bought the set for the official tour of Drowsy Chaperone. And I'm sitting in a chair like this. And above me are some pictures that I had pasted on the wall of my dreary apartment. And one of them over my shoulder right here was grace kelly and grace kelly is like my spirit animal one of the people like i'm obsessed with we have almost the same birthday she was born november 10th i'm born november 11th she's from philadelphia i'm from allentown so i've made all these ridiculous like we're very similar um comparisons and she's just someone i uh, as a touchstone for me both princesses and, yeah princesses real ones not even disney <laughs> and um I love to antique, so I was in Maine in the town and we had a break or a day off or something during rehearsals and I went to an antique store and the man just said, um, oh, I have something for you. And I was like, okay. And I don't even know if he knew who I was or why I was in town or whatever. I was just you know, a gay out buying things I don't need. And uh, he went over to an antique uh, desk that required a key and he put it in the top drawer. And he pulled the drawer out, and there was a peach-colored envelope um, with some writing on the front. And then he handed it to me. And I was like, okay, this is weird. And on the back of the flap of the envelope was like a crest, like a heraldic uh, royal crest. And it was like two M's. And I was like, okay. And then I opened it up, and the top page of the letterhead um, said, Grace de Monaco." And it was a piece of Princess Grace's stationery with her handwriting on it that said, congratulations on the new baby. Um, So I was assuming that the new baby was like this play and I should just be like relaxed and congratulatory about it and not be stressed. And I was like, okay, thank you. And the guy was like, yeah, I just thought you'd want to see that. I was like, is this for sale? He goes, no, it's just, it's some like paraphernalia that I collect. I was like, all right. And then I left and I was like, wow, that was just like a a supernatural experience where Princess Grace came to me, delivered. I mean, what are the odds that I'd be walking around in a town in Maine? A man who doesn't know me would say, you need to see this. Hand me this note. It says, congrats on the new baby. From my spirit muse, whose picture is over my shoulder in the play that I'm doing right now. It was very, I couldn't believe it. And then I went to... um, this is turning into, like, a supernatural episode
0: of Oh, Multi-Hyphenate. I, I can go for – I could talk about this for forever. I, so I'm... I went to Monaco
1: um, two summers ago, and friends of mine were uh, going on a vacation in the south of France, and we were starting in Monaco. And I said, oh, I have to leave for a second. I have to go to um, – the old town of Monaco is where, like, the, the palace is and where the church is, where Grace Kelly married – Uh, Prince Rainier, and she's actually buried in that church. Um, Like, in Europe, they sometimes bury you inside the church, Mm -hmm. uh, like, under a slab on the floor, and all of the uh, I don't know how you say it, monocyte royalties, whatever, royals from Monaco, Mm -hmm. are buried in this, you know, part of the church, and you have to turn your phone off when you go in, so I did, and I got to Princess Grace's area and there was just a candle and a single rose in a bud vase and it has grace Demonico and all that and then my phone started chiming like not the normal ring or whatever but the one that's like when you get a voicemail it goes ding, ding 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 like a like a twinkle it did that and my i had turned my phone off to go in and i was very sure about that i was like i can't have my phone like ringing when i'm in this thing it turned on and played the the gentle chime noise when I was standing at her area. So I was like, again, um, thank you, Princess Grace, but there's some kind of weird thing going on with me and her.
0: Oh, Um, she is with you.
1: Yeah, so that was the first weird drowsy chaperone. Oh, and then the other supernatural drowsy chaperone story. At the Ogunquit Playhouse, they have a patio in the back and it has like a little fountain. It's the most, have you been? Yeah. It's the most charming, you know, and for your listeners, it's like white clapboard and it has uh, hunter green awnings and red geraniums. And it was built in the 1930s and it's just the most charming playhouse and one of the very few uh, legit summer stock theaters still in business. And like I said, you know, Drew uh, Ethel Barrymore and uh, Betty Davis and everybody, you know, Paul Lind probably and uh, Lucille Ball and just people that i've you know watched growing up on tv in the 60s and 70s would do stints there so i was must have been feeling the betty davis energy and i was running lines with a friend of mine on the back patio probably wearing like you know high waisted khakis and a white button down with the collar popped and a fake cigarette in my hand and as i was doing the lines i was like no i don't und-. and i was like oh my god what i was like did i just channel betty davis and i was like so, feeling her energy that ah. I swear as I was doing the lines, it was like she was inside me. Uh, it was very weird. Um, and I just feel that energy. So, maybe I'm just an empath or something.
0: You're one of the few people that's that uh, can say that Betty Davis was inside of you, which is pretty. Yeah,
1: strange. it's rare. It is rare. But lucky <laughs> me, I'm such a whore that way
0: it's um yeah me too i've had a few people inside of me um uh, and they're well they're alive but um and always one's, better one's in always the other better. room um so that is so incredible i i don't know if you watched the there's a video going on i don't know i think it might have been TikTok, but it was the johnny carson betty davis interview and mm-hmm. he's like who have you who have you least Who's the like worst person you've ever worked with? And she goes, Faye Dunaway. <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> without it, missing a beat. Was it? Yeah, and it's an old, it's an, it's a late in
1: life interview where she's wearing like a bolero hat. Exactly. Yeah, and smoking. I,
0: yep, yeah, pretty sure she's smoking.
1: Yeah, no, but I know that hat. She's much older. There was a great play also that I saw in New York in the nineties about Betty Davis at that time of her age. Um And she was staying, like, at somebody's house. And it was told, like, by the perspective of, like, the caregiver or something. Wow. And it was in the 90s. We'll have to ask our theater friends who it was or what it was. But I distinctly remember going to see, like, a, you know, like, a one- or two-woman show about Betty Davis in her 80s um, and living with, like, her grandson
0: or something. I don't know. It was something like that. It's amazing. There's something so – seeing them in so older – in these interviews, there's something so disarming. Uh, like, you could see why they were so revered but also feared. You could see right. it. But seeing them in this state of being, like, fake away, you're just like, oh, I just want to give you – I just want to sit with you for hours. I want you to yell at me. Bette Midler yeah. once yelled at me but in a way that I wanted her to yell at me. I'm, I love her. And right. I photographed her the first time I met her, I photographed her and I had like 30 seconds to get the photo right. and I was just adjusting the, the flash and goes, hurry up. And I literally, <laughs> all I could say was I am <laughs> like, right. you know, cause it's Bette Midler. It's bathhouse Betty. It's like, yeah. I no. don't know. It, it just is the vibe, but the theater gives those to us when we're willing, because, um, I was on the Titanic in a past life. It follows me everywhere I go. Really? I saw the movie when I was seven, which is basically where you stop with your past lives—you stop remembering. But it came out. Oh, really? Came out in the theater when I was seven, and I watched it. And I watched it from the perspective of me going. I was there, not, not with that those words because I was seven years old. But I was like, but you felt it. Yeah. So, um, follows me wherever I go. Um. I was living in London during the 100-year anniversary of the sinking. I moved to the city. John Jacob Astor, the richest man on the ship, is buried right outside of my apartment. But, really? Um, yes. And so every April 15th, I go sit outside of his grave, and I put it on TikTok, and the video went viral. And a woman um, uh, named Myra from Soul Science Hypnosis out in L.A., Messaged right. me saying I want to do a session with you for free. I've never oh got amazing. Never had anyone do a past life session that was on the Titanic, and I'd love to just do this with you. So over Zoom because it was during the the pandemic. Right. Um, it was like a two and a half hour session, and I was seeing everything from the perspective of Molly Brown. And when I was little, I always drew the titanic like whenever i was bored i would just draw the titanic and i realized that when i was doing the regression session i was looking at i was always drawing the titanic from the angle of which i was seeing it in the lifeboat Mm -hmm. and she was asking me historically accurate things i didn't know she was asking me who was in the lifeboat and i said all women two men one child which is uh, historically accurate she said, what happened when you got aboard the Carpathian? And I said, they gave me a job. No idea about this. They gave me a job. I have a job. And little did I know that the survivors um, appointed her to be the head of the survivors committee to the RMS, uh, to the White Star Line. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then um, she also was a multi hyphenate She was an actor and an activist amongst other things. And then here we are, the first – this happened before this, but the first Playbill cover that I photographed, official Playbill, was right. um, the Unsinkable Molly Brown revival starring Beth Malone. Wow. It follows, Amazing. It follows me, and I think as, as theater artists, as people in the industry, we just have to pay attention to those things, and they're everywhere. Those little moments of – um right of direction. With, yes, it's all direction. It's beshert, which is a Yiddish word for meant to be. And that's, I think, you had that. Betty Davis came to you and Grace, Grace, Princess Grace came yes, to yes. you. Yes, yes. I think that's amazing. Yeah, totally.
1: I think we just came up with a new podcast. Um, it's like, you know, celebrities um, uh, from the other side or something. We'll of think of a better name.
0: Carson, if you want to do it, I am so down. I do love my, you
1: know, um, past life regression and um, finding out who you like your, oh, I have another one. Um, maybe everybody is like this, or maybe I'm just like a a, a, a spirit whore um, that can't get enough of them. But I did a, um, I don't know why I got invited to this, but in the, in the basement of Rue 57, which is a restaurant- on 57th Street, like 6th Avenue in the city, French Place, Um, a bunch of psychics were getting together and doing like a psychics panel and like a dinner and a party. And I think a friend of mine was doing the PR for them. And they had invited a bunch of producers from like Live with Kelly, the Wendy Williams show, like all the New York-based talk shows. They invited um, the bookers to come to this like dinner with the psychics. And somehow I got invited and you're just talking to all the psychics and they're like oh do, they're like do you have like you know someone that's guiding you from the other side and I was like uh, I can barely get any guidance from people who are alive so I'm kind of just doing it on my own <clears throat> and um, they said no I, th- I feel this really strong um, connection to um, Joan Rivers did you know her did you work with her and I was like yeah I worked with her um, at QVC we did a billion things together and we just see each other you know fashion police i had guested on or every oscars every emmys you know i'm always there like either doing the same thing she was doing or just attending and we just had a very um i have a gorgeous picture of her and i in my apartment we just have a very simpatico like you know no bullshit just like work hard have fun entertain people buy faberge eggs if you want um that kind of you know relationship we just got each other and um uh this psychic was like, yeah, she's here tonight, and I was like, what? Um, I don't think she would like Room 57, honestly, um, not, not the basement, and they're like, no, she's here, and she's kind of always with you, and she is like one of your, like, you know, spiritual guides, and I was like, what? Um, so I have this big connection to Joan Rivers, and, you know, that pops up all the time. I was just doing some kind of, it was something really important for a fashion commentary or something, and People were like, well, no one could do it like Joan. And I was like, no, no one could do it like Joan. And then I um, reached in my jacket for like something, like a blotting thing. And I had a Joan Rangers pin pinned on the inside of this particular jacket, which I hadn't worn since I had probably worked with her. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys, here's a Joan Rangers pin. Um, so it's, yeah, you're, that's the very, very long answer to your point that people are always checking in with us. Um, from the other side. I don't know why I'm so other sidey today, um, but um, we just need to be aware of it and you can um, recognize it.
0: I believe that you're an empath. I believe that. I feel like that comes through on screen 100%. You are, I think, what's so wonderful about you is that you don't, you're not a self focused personality. There are personalities about in the industry that are. you could tell that they're so self focused, they don't listen. They don't listen to the other. It's not yes and. It's it's not about the other. And You're so much about the other. That's why you're mm-hmm. so funny and your jokes land so much because of what you are able to download. So I think you download – you don't just download the things that are physically around you. you. You download energies, and I think that's a testament to who you are as a person, and I believe that's why you're probably picking up on everything too.
1: Uh, well yeah gosh this has been like therapy it's been like um uh a uh, psychic other side show there was the guy i forget his name um uh but yeah this has been so
0: fun thank you i don't take insurance but i'll venmo you yeah please <laughs> send me a request carson kressley you are the best thank you so much for for talking with me today and um I'll do an, I'll do an electronic press kit about our upcoming podcast. So and then you can okay, just, uh, great. just share it with light. me and I'll,
1: yeah, I'll send it to the mountaintops. Oh, and you know um, the other thing that I was so impressed about was that you had talked to Carol Burnett, who is not one of my spirit animals, but I I'm absolutely obsessed with her and I got to meet her once or twice and she is like the person that I put on the biggest um, you know growing up watching her. Um, I didn't even know what greatness I was witnessing, but I was just so drawn to her um and when I saw you had gotten to talk to her I was like oh my god if Carol yeah. Burnett's I'm um, signed me up
0: another person that must have been amazing another person that's sort of the giver right the reason why she's so funny and so loved is because it's not about her it's about the other and I mm-hmm. think I think you emulate that you know and also I wanted to create a really safe space for Carol she's doing a um a a campaign to get the majestic theater renamed the Howard the Harold Prince theater. So I, I, when I asked her to go on, I asked her partner to come on together so that we could talk about this campaign. So one, it was, so this is a lesson for people that are doing asks and they don't know where to start. It was right. Specific. It was, um, about safe space it was about a common goal the three of us want that named so it wasn't like i was like i just want to have her on and like oh my god dish. like it was no it was right using yeah using our platforms to talk about how prince and then she felt safe to open up and really talk about some vulnerable things that i think were um i hope cathartic i don't know but i know that listeners right. really enjoyed it
1: I'm sure, I'm going to take a listen. um, Please do. Now that I have downtime. Yeah,
0: and then let's take some photos. Oh my God, when you're in the city, you better come in. I would love that.